Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT with live internet streaming radio all throughout the world. And of course, coming to you on video and audio on Facebook.com backslash WakeUpCallDT and on YouTube.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. So however you're tuning in, thank you so much for being a part of the show. This gentleman is no stranger to the broadcast. We met a few years back here when he was at East Carolina University as their head football coach, and we had a lot of fireside chats. And I would tell you that all the stuff that maybe you enjoyed on the air on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, the conversations off the air were even better. I got to know somebody who is unapologetic and very strong in his faith in God, someone who genuinely cares about the student-athletes, student-athletes caring about him back and seeing just that real, genuine love and appreciation. He's been a leader. He has been a faithful person, as I stated. He has been an honest person. He has been a true, valued person in our community. And that community could mean the people in his neighborhood. It could mean his team. It could mean when I had the opportunity to be around him at the American Athletic Kickoff. Ruffin McNeil has left his mark on so many lives, I'm sure of it, without even having to ask. And I can tell you personally that he has made an incredible effect on my life. That's why all these years later, I wanted to reach out to him and hope that that phone number still worked and that this conversation could still happen. Because Ruffin McNeil is one of those people you never want to lose touch with, can always uplift you. And even in his toughest moments, even when things weren't easy, even when adversity knocked on his door, he still navigated through it, rose above it, made it look easy, and found the time to ask you how you are doing. So it is my complete honor and privilege to welcome back to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, someone who I am very, very thankful to God that I know, even for a second, and that is the infamous... Living legend in my book, Mr. Ruffin McNeil. Ruffin, how are we doing? Man, thank you, man. I will pay you, send a check to you for that great introduction, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> man, it's awesome. It's great to hear your voice. Like you said, uh, uh, we we kept in touch a little, you know, over the years, and it was great to you. You were heading to a, a job, and uh, not a couple of days ago, and 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 the great to talk that short time we had, and. It's great to be on here with you today, man. It's it's a blessing as always. And I appreciate you and how you always, a lot of people don't know how, and this business that we've been a part of for many years, uh, to have a person on the other end asking questions when we were in the uh, American Conference and that fold uh, to ask a genuine person like yourself who really asked a question that you cared about the answer. If, the, if our audience will understand that, that, you cared about me as and asking questions and about what I had to say back. And you talked to me, not at me. We, and I thought we did that both ways. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you today, and I was looking forward to it. Yeah, and thank you. You know, thank you for that. Thank you for seeing that I care. Thank you for knowing that I do, that I listen, and, and that – you know, it, it really does mean a lot to me. I always tell people I'm media by badge, but not by how I treat anyone. And, you know, it's it's about the relationships. It's about the connections. And you always hope that somebody's picking up what you're putting down. So to hear you say that, I can honestly tell you, you know, that I feel like my grandparents would be smiling. I know my mom and dad, you know, will be happy to, to hear that. And and rough, and it's one of the one of the nicest and greatest compliments I've ever received. So I want to say thank you for that before we get started today. Well, well I mean it, and, and I really do. And you've done a lot of interviews, and so have I. And uh, we we connected from I think the second one when we met at the uh, conference, and the, and um, and that that just today is like it really. I mean this, and and, and you've had it before when we talked the other day. It was just like we. We have been talking every day. Yeah. It hadn't been months or years in between. And uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to being with you and the audience today. Uh, and, and I appreciate that too. I still remember I asked you because it was like everybody was wrapping up. And I said, you know, hey, Ruff, do you have some time? 
And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, look, kind of look around. He said, yeah, I could do it. And everybody's kind of leaving the room. And you sat next to me, just two chairs in the room. And and you put your you put your hand on my knee and you said, I appreciate this. You said, I feel like God made us cross paths on purpose. And I never forgot you saying that to me. And I also never forgot when I was washing my hands in the bathroom at the American thing at Rhode Island. And I and I saw you and I and I it just like out of everybody that was there, no disrespect to anybody whatsoever, because I have relationships with a lot of the coaches, but it was like I looked for you on purpose after having that other conversation with you. And when I saw you, it was just like, you know, that hope, like, does he remember me? Like, cause you were somebody that I have respect for and I really yeah. appreciate. So, you know, just walking by you and like washing my hands and grabbing a towel, you're like, Hey, I hope that the Ruffin McNeil remembers who I am because he made an impact on my life. So. Well, you, well it, it goes both ways. You know, I, I really do. I, I've, I've learned and I was very fortunate. You mentioned your, your parents and your grandparents. And for me, um, uh, my mom and dad were educators and teachers, and they taught me service is the rent you pay for the privilege of living on this earth. So I really believe that. And then uh, he, she, my mom would always say when she was here, she's still here right now. And uh, uh, I really do believe that. And she would say, uh, God, God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't go, oops, my bad, like a, like a human does. you know. So when we met that day, it was on... It wasn't. It went by chance. It was by purpose, and and uh, I really appreciated it. And, and uh, I think that the audience will tell how we 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 jive right here. That that, that our, our relationship is uh, is pure. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. Ruffin McNeil, God bless, is here with us today on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Ruffin, I'm gonna read. This may be the biggest. You know when they say like. When you're applying for a new job, they're like, make sure your resume's on one sheet. Unless you use some type of like size two font. I don't know how you get all of this on one sheet, but or or maybe maybe you write it in a circle like all the way around the page so it just keeps going. But you know, 1980 to 84, Lumberton High School assistant, 85 to 86, a GA at Clemson. 87 linebackers coach at Austin P. 88 North Alabama linebackers coach. 89 to 91 Appalachian State linebackers coach. Then to East Carolina for your first stint, D line 92. Back to Appalachian State as the defensive coordinator for 93 to 96. UNLV as the defensive coordinator in 97 and 98. The assistant head coach in 98 as well. Fresno State D line in 1999. Texas Tech from 2000 to 2002 is the linebackers coach. And then from 2003 to 6, assistant head coach and special teams. 2007, assistant head coach D-line. 2008-9, assistant head coach D-coordinator. From 2010 to 2015, when we met uh, a few years after you had started there, East Carolina head coach. Then to Virginia as the assistant head coach and in, in D-tackles D, D in 2016. Then in Oklahoma for 2017, 18, 19 as an assistant head coach, working with the D tackles in 17 and 18, interim DC in 18, and outside linebackers coach in 19. And from 2020 on to this point, NC, NC State special assistant to the head coach, Ruffin McNeil. <laughs> that's a lot of. Hey. Hey, that's a lot of moving, brother. You know I mean? I've never heard it in that put in that sense until the day I'm going. You know what? That's a lot of movement and uh, a lot of experiences. And uh, what a great job, man! Rehashing that—that that was, uh, man, that was—that's my life. Uh, and that's the experiences. And uh, I, I look at all experiences, great experiences. And when you were naming them, my my mind kept flashing back to that particular school, uh, particular city or town that I lived in, and yeah. the players that were there. And uh, that was amazing. Uh, and uh, wow, thank you for that, Dan. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and of all those opportunities, you had one as a head coach. Where does yeah. East Carolina live in your history, in your life, in your mind, and in your heart, knowing that of all the jobs you've gotten to do, that was the place where they let you lead an entire program? You know, it was, it was an honor because at that time, and you know, I didn't know if I'd have my opportunity. Uh, I had a chance to take over 
uh, at, at Texas Tech when the mishap happened with Mike Leach there for an intro against Michigan State, but didn't get that job. It was just for the bowl game. And I never thought I'd have opportunity, really. And then in between that, Texas Tech and East Carolina opportunity, I was going to Stanford with Jim Harbaugh. I accepted the job and was going that way after Texas Tech until East Carolina called. And when it came, I had been preparing for it. And, I, and this is, I'll tell you what I, how I was trained by my dad and who I've been around. Whatever job I had, I prepared for the next one. Not going there, but uh, skill-wise. Like, for example, when I coached high school and was an assistant, I prepared for the job like I was going to be a head coach. I taught my room, cared myself. So if the opportunity ever came, it's like I had practiced it a little bit. Then when I became a GA, a graduate assistant at Clemson, I uh, performed my duties like I was an assistant, a full-time. So if it ever came, I'll be prepared. And then once I became a full-time, I prepared my room, my meetings, if it's not, if it, as if I was a defensive coordinator. And then, and this is truth, and then when I became a defensive coordinator, I conducted the room, and now you had a, a, a bigger room, a bigger uh, format, even a special teams coach. I prepared to be a head coach, never thinking I would have an opportunity but I, but I learned sort of like practicing a jump shot, how you throw the, uh, a, a piece of trash in the paper and go three, two, one, like a jump shot in the game. That sort of um, practice mentally. Yeah. And I did that. And uh, so when it came, it was a, su- a surprise because I didn't know what happened. But uh, I think I prepared for it all those years before. And when it happened, I was – I, I, I was ready and still learning, but was ready. And I knew if I had opportunity, I had to be ready to and prepared to do a great job immediately because I didn't know how many chances I would get. You know, if that makes sense, Dan? Yeah. And uh, I wanted to, so when it came about, uh, I got the job and um, I knew I'd have, to have a great staff once I received the job or, or accepted the job. So that was the next thing. And then I had my, uh, philosophy and principles and plan of how to run the entire organization because I've been rehearsing or practicing it for all those years. I said, and, and I adjusted it as I went and through the years and experiences of when it when it would come or if it ever did happen, here's how I would handle it. Here's what I need to have prepared and, uh, down from not just the, the Pacific coach, but what defense I would run, uh, what how would I handle discipline off the field and on the field? How would I handle the ed- education academic part, uh, the faith part, the rules part, uh, the media part, Dan, even the media part, Dan, how to handle media. Yeah. And uh, I, I practiced that the whole time, never knowing I have a chance. And it came at a later age than normal. And uh, I was just grateful to have opportunity those six years at East Carolina, and uh, I wish it had been longer, but that's how this business goes that we're in. You and I were chosen for, but uh, I, I enjoyed the opportunity, and I try to do, make the best of it. Speaking here with Ruffin McNeil here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, the keeper of 172 jobs in the world of football, and <laughs> here inside of the Cafe Cabal Studios, Ruffin, like you said, it was six years, but you wish it was more. You and I spoke. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in the parking lot of one of the malls up in, up in the Syracuse area. And I remember calling you, getting through, and sitting on the phone with you and talking about this. And just feeling so sad because I felt like it was not the right move. And, and I can say that, you know, from, from my perspective. And I know that East Carolina has meant a lot to you. I know that I, I respect the heck out of East Carolina. And I've paid attention to him since coming into the American and covering the American. Bring me back. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. You've had a few years from that moment. What happened? What was it? I mean, in my opinion, 
Was it perfect? No. Is any coach typically perfect? Not really, unless you're maybe named Nick Saban and sometimes Dabo Sweeney. But looking back at your time at East Carolina, I really thought that you were one of the coaches that was relatively safe every year. So hindsight 2020, let's go to those six years and and, and what happened and, and how did they tell you and, and were you shocked? I mean, now that we have time to talk about it, I'd love to go back to that time because I just, I just, I really honestly felt like you were something special there that was way beyond football. And I felt like you were winning. You were going to find a way to do it and be consistent. You've been the most consistent of the coaches that they've had in, in of late and, 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 and maybe even in general. So I'd love to go back to those East Carolina times. And, and I hope that that's okay if I do that with you, because that's how I met you. And I just, I just, I, I'll never forget shaking my head that day going, I don't understand. I just didn't understand. Well, you know, at first, I think, uh, East Carolina is a place that I was 17 years old and I received my football scholarship to go play there for a Hall of Fame coach named Pat Dye, who just passed away during the last year. And so that place was not just a, another school. It was a, a, a place where uh, I grew up. I, I became uh, from a young teenager and graduated in four years. I was able to be on some really good teams. I was able to become a starter as a sophomore and start for three seasons, named the captain earlier. And not to brag or anything, but just to say that's what happened. So it meant a lot to me. And I made formed a lot of lifelong relationships there as you do as you know and those college experiences uh teammates and friends so it was uh it meant a lot so to be able to go back and be the head coach at my alma mater not just mine but my brother graduated from there also my sister-in-law and brother-in-law my wife Erlene has her master's from East Carolina I have my brother I have just I have a bunch of family that that's a lot of connections so to go back and be the head coach was like man our family was ecstatic and I was too uh and I thought we had some really positive things going um graduation rate shot up our discipline we we had no problems and if there were they were eliminated very quickly uh, our GPA was of the highest uh we won some really Big games, which I think as a coach, every game is a big game, but we were able to be successful against some ACC opponents, as you remember that. And then yeah. uh, I, 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 that last year, uh, I had two quarterbacks get injured a week before the start of the season. Uh, and uh, one of them is still playing, he's backing up in Green Bay right now. But, you know, so I go into the season that last year, never said anything to the media, anything with the third team quarterback and great kid, great young man, and he's going to be a great player. So it was a lot of, a lot of learning going on from everyone. And uh, we came up short and out of the games we lost that last year, uh, a touchdown or a point here uh, for, I think, six out of seven games. I felt pretty good. And to say I wasn't shocked, uh, that would not be telling the truth. So I was shocked that we were not able to stay longer. And uh, so, but also know, Dan, in this business that I've chosen and God has chosen me for is that uh, everything's for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And yes, it was a challenge. Uh, matter of fact, besides getting my mom in 07 at Tech, not losing our game there, uh, it was one of the most challenging times in my life. Uh, because I was, I had to, okay, here we go. My job at my alma mater, which I was ready to stay there because it, my, I know it sounded like a lot of jobs in your name now, but I was not a, a looking Louie type guy. Yeah. Uh, looking, you know, so when in, that was, we went into that job, my wife and I, and everybody who I hired, who, that can't be solidified, but. I felt like that would be my, last, my, my a lifetime job. Uh, 
which I know that in this business is a, probably was a dream. And uh, But when things, it didn't work out at the end. And I was disappointed. But how I was raised was I never and will never say anything negative about East Carolina because, like I said, I go back to the 17-year-old raising an opportunity to have my, a chance to be a head coach and uh, to have my opportunity to lead some kids and inspire and what I call uh, plant some trees that now will grow and those trees will be there for a lifetime because I was able to be around some young men and hopefully influence them to be uh, great dads, great husbands, great men at that point, but also win some football games and teach them to play how to play the game. The, the, the fundamental great effort competitive spirit type way. So, uh, you know, I knew in this business going into it that there's that there's always a chance and likeness that you can get fired. And uh, so that part was was difficult because I am human. Uh, um, but you never prepared for it. But as I was also, and you mentioned it when you're, you describe me as able to face adverse times. I pride myself also on uh, tough times don't last. Tough people do, as a cliche, but I really believe that. And I think the main reason I believe that, one of the main reasons is I have a faith in knowing that uh, I'm not, uh, I won't be put, God won't put me in a situation that I can't handle. Yeah. Uh, I, I really believe that. And then uh, the next is I'm prepared for that, w- whatever happens next. And I believe that and, and uh, personally prepared. So I had that. Then I got fired uh, December 5th, 11 o'clock on a Friday. I remember the day, and ironically, it was something for you, Dave. Since we, uh, Dave uh, Doran, Dan was the first person to call me here, working for Dave here at State. Yeah. He was the first person to call me, Dan, and uh, just to check on me, because I've known Dave since he was 24. And uh, so uh, I had a job offer that night from Virginia, and uh, early enough felt great about it, because I knew Bronco Mendenhall, one of my best friends in life, is Robert Anai, the offensive coordinator. His wife is early. So we accept that job there within the next two days after being being released uh, from East Carolina. And uh, from there, I was happy there at UVA. And then Lincoln Riley, who the story's been told, I've known Lincoln since he was 19. And when I when I began as a head coach at East Carolina, he was my first hire as offensive coordinator. And he was really young, really the youngest offensive player in the country at that time. He left and went to Oklahoma and got the head job when Coach Tooth retired, he called, and I felt like a part of my job was to now go help him, Dan, become, give him the best chance to be a head coach and help Lincoln be a head coach and be there for him as a, a sounding board, having sat in that chair before and say, hey, Lincoln, here's some things that to be alert for, those type information. And then while I was there uh, for three years, we won. You won some B-12 championships, got in the playoffs. And then my dad, who was still living, uh, uh, had, had got got an episode with dementia and Alzheimer's. So after we played the LSU in the playoffs that year, uh, in the office, I went to Lincoln and told and because Lincoln knows my dad while he was here and knows my family. I said, Lincoln, I'm going to have to go back and move back to North Carolina, not expecting to work. Yeah, but just come back and give my brother some leeway because he's been taking care of my dad since my mom passed. Yeah. So, um, so that's why I came back to North Carolina. Arlena found the house, and 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 then while I'm here again, the first person to call me was Dave Doran here at North Carolina State. Again, we had been friends since those Fresno State days that you mentioned back in my, in my description and Dave said, Hey, look, come help me. And, and, you know, 
be here for me, and that's what I am now. So, going back to your question, it was a, uh, it was tough, but I really do think that tough, pe- tough times don't last. Tough people do, and uh, I just had faith that God would would take care of me and lead me in the right way, right direction, and He has. You know, and and that's such a beautiful thing here with Ruffin McNeil this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside the Cafe Kubal Studios, a good friend, somebody who can literally talk to you once a year, once every every three, four years, and change your life. Ruffin, that East Carolina day, that was a hard day for me. That December 5th day, that was a hard day. I know it was a hard day for you, and it was the hardest day for you. And... I felt those ripple effects come all the way to Syracuse, New York. And I sat in my car and I was upset and I was emotional. And I thought to myself, dang it, selfishly, I don't want to lose touch with this man. I want him to have a job. I want him, you know, I want people. And I remember saying, like, there's not, you don't find Ruffin McNeil behind every corner. And so to me, it was, how do they not know what I know? How do they not see what I see? And for you to move forward and go to Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall, and I got to talk to Bronco about you a couple years ago, and then to go to Oklahoma after that, I'm sitting here thinking, what's going to happen to Ruffin? Because I took that personally. I said, no, 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 that's one of my guys. You don't, you don't touch my guys, you know? But, so... So I was like, that, that's, that's, that's my crew. You touch my crew, you touch me. And, <laughs> and so I'm thinking in my head, where is he going to go? And then, like you said, God being beautiful. Man, Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia and what he's building. And then you go to Oklahoma. You get to experience a college football playoff. You get to be on the biggest stage of college football in America. So after East Carolina... Did you feel God's blessing at Virginia? Did you feel God's blessing at Oklahoma? Do you feel it at NC State? No doubt. No, no doubt. Because at each stop, going with Bronco was amazing. And I, I just believe, and I got this from Bronco, lifelong learning. And I think it was a mutual. I think Bronco and I both, we have a relationship that began a little bit earlier than that. We played each other. Well, you know that in, in, the, in the league, or in the league, we played BYU. Yeah. And uh, they beat us out there on a last-second play. But we exchanged staffs and did some staff enhancement, uh, some enhancement and uh, defensively. And uh, so working with Bronco was amazing. And uh, I didn't – I would not have left Bronco ever. Uh, that's not my style. But Lincoln called. And to be honest, I, I didn't take that job for, for four weeks. And then – once he got the head job, I didn't know what it was about. And then to go with Lincoln and help I got a, a man, a young man I knew since he was 19 as a student assistant. Then as a graduate assistant, then full-time. And then he worked with me and for me at East Carolina, did a great job and turned down things you don't know. Lincoln turned down four to five jobs, Dan, while he was with me, Notre Dame, UNC, some other places that paid him three, four, and five times more than I could pay him. Just to say, that, that's loyalty. And I believe that. That word there is key. And uh, so to leave Bronco, it was hard. But what made it easier a little bit was to go with Lincoln and help him get started on the right foot, be a part of that journey with him. And then when my dad came up again, nothing by accident. I really believe that. It was time for us to come back home and give my brother a break, Erlene and I. And uh, being with Dave has been a blessing. Uh, I feel like I'm here. I've been in that chair he sits in before and able to be a release valve, a sounding board, and also have great interaction with our players and uh, have a part of their life and help them with athletics, football, uh, life questions, adult questions man questions and uh, men questions to try to make sure I help them. So it's been a great, great moving experience. So I get a chance to share my my life experiences, all those 200 jobs you named that I've been. 
those those early in the beginning, those experiences with with the players here and the coaches. And I came to a staff, Dan, this is amazing, where yeah. I've either coached with the staff that was already here at other schools, Texas Tech for one, or coached against them in the Big 12 or uh, at Ole Miss when I was going against at, at Texas Tech play other schools, or they were players, and now they coach on the staff. So the, the guys on the staff, um, we knew each other from opponent and sometimes saying just so, yes, it's been a blessing, as well as coming back to our home state where Erlene and I are from. Erlene's able to take care of her, of her mom and help with my dad, and it's been a blessing. It really has. You know, and, and you may mention of the fact that Dave Doran, who I have spoken with, I think his entire time at NC State, uh, loved the teleconferences weekly when we got to do that. Uh, obviously talked to him at, at ACC kickoff and whatnot. I have, and, and you can tell him this, I've banged the drum for Dave Doran plenty of times. And, yes. you know, I said about Scott Schaefer, I said, you want to know the difference between Dave Clawson at Wake Forest? Dave Doran at NC State and Scott Schaefer at Syracuse, time. They gave Dave time in Wake. They gave Dave time in NC State. They didn't give Scott Schaefer any time. Right, and, right. and and so I said, you know, if you, you give Dave Doran time, and I'm looking at, I was like the Bradley Chubbs and the Jalen Samuels, and, you know, just going down the line and looking at these these players that, that he was sending to, you know, the, Matt Days and guys that, that were going off into the NFL – he was finding NFL talent. He was seeing professional talent in 16-year-old, 15-year-old, 17, 18-year-old kids, seeing that they would be successful at NC State, but then also seeing in them their ability to go farther. And it's such a hard thing for a coach to do that he was winning, but he was also building and helping these kids toward their future. And, you know, I've become a huge Dave Doran fan over the years just out of sheer appreciation to talk to him, respect for what he's done, and I got to be honest with this, and it's okay if you don't comment, but I'm going to comment because I can. When that Tennessee job came up and some of the fan base said, ah, good riddance, see you later, I was like, did you know what life was before Dave Doran? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, are you are you even understanding the fact that this man pushed Clemson to the brink twice, and then this year I picked them to beat Clemson, I said, listen, They've played against good Clemson teams, and they've been right there. And in this yeah. season, I believe he'll be able to get over the hump. I know Clemson's not as not as prominent this year, but Dave Doran is a thorn in the side of so many coaches around the country. And I was baffled by the fact that some people don't know his worth, but he was given something that Scott Schaefer, and this is no disrespect to Dino Babers being there now, but he was given right. something that Scott was never given. Dave was given time he was given the ability to build it. And I've talked to Dave about selling more season tickets. Oh, this is the first year that we're going to sell out our season tickets. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Dave Doran, it was easy for me to be a fan of him because he was somebody that people treated as a nobody that you started to see wasn't a nobody, was a somebody. And now that he's a somebody, sometimes people, you know, they, they get complacent in the fact that, that all they know is success or or that they know, you know, that there's a, a progression of some sorts. But Dave Doran, to me, I love the fact that you said he was the first person to call you, and then he was the first person to call you again. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not surprised you work for him right now because of that. But you can let him know because I know he'll, he'll trust your words. Yeah, and, and I wonder if he'll smirk when, when he hears my name because he's used to hearing it on the teleconference. But you tell Dave Doran to his face that I'm one of his biggest fans, and it's only because he works hard. I'll do that. And I'll tell you what, you got him pinpoint. He's still, you know, I knew him as a, he's a graduate assistant uh, doing 98 when I, 99 when I was at Fresno at Southern Cal. And we went down to study with their staff as a defensive staff in Fresno. And Dave was a graduate assistant there in the GA who took us down and went through film with us while most schools do that. <clears throat> to give their young coaches a chance to practice their delivery and skill set and also 
meet other coaches. So Dave and I, since the 99, 98, 99, have kept in contact at all those other stops, whether it's Montana or Wisconsin or as a head coach at Northern and when he came here. And, uh, you know, when I say, and then somebody, I did an interview and somebody asked about Dave. And I told him, I go, here's what I'll tell you about him is that in my most, two of my most challenging times, I've had my mom as one I named. And then I mentioned the other one with East Carolina that day. Not to, his question was, are you okay? Do you need anything? And and it was, it was from his heart and meant it. So, and, and that friendship has been built and verification of that friendship has been built. So then when I'm coming back home to take care of my dad, not knowing if I'm going to work or not, oh, if I can, if Dave called me again, just to check on me. And then they see me, I'd be here a while. Then this developed. And he is absolutely, uh, and I agree with you, giving him time. He's able to build a culture that he needs to be consistent year in and year out. He's also excellent at choosing and evaluating kids on film uh, and, and getting not just the athletic part right, Dan, but the external part, the, the culture. Do you fit with our culture part? Yeah. Ready. I get that part too. So it's been it's been really uh, the, these last two years. We won the most games in the history of state last year in ACC through the COVID year, as well as uh, – one of the most controversial years in U.S. of A. Uh, with, with, with all that was going on as well. He held a team together, galvanized them, and uh, we won eight games last year. And we, Right now we, we've lost some guys because of injury, but we still are in the, in the, in the fighting and, and, and contest to win this division and get in the championship game. And, but we got to take care of one at a time. And he's done a great job leading us as a staff and leading us as a team. So I echo uh, your feeling and thought on Dave as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I re, I'm I looking at, you know, the guys that that were there for him at, at NC State that I've covered, you know, Bradley Chubb. Uh, I'm looking at, at Jalen Samuels, like I mentioned, Naheem Hines. Uh, Will Richardson is, is in Jacksonville right now, a team that I've covered on-site, on-location for 11 years now, Jacoby Brissett, you know, Mike yeah. Lennon was in Jacksonville as well. You know, I mean, in, in, and the list goes on and on. Those are naming the guys that, you know, I'm connected to in some way, shape or form, but you know, and Matt days, you know, had some time there. I'm, I'm just a fan of the work that he puts in and, and he's very deliberate about it. And, and, and I, I'm just stuck. I just feel like, and I want to say this publicly, I'm stunned that he's, Somehow to some people, apparently people who don't work in logic and rationale, he should be the coach that you're begging to hold on to, not the coach that you're going, eh, we could do better. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, in my opinion, if you're NC State and Tennessee calls or anybody calls, you better pay that man. You better protect that man. Like, he knows what he's doing, and he's been one heck of a coach, and He's always been fun, and, and seeing him at the ACC kickoff, I went over to him. I said, hey, Dave, and, and he, he stopped. He's no larger than life. He stopped. He shook my hand. He goes, hey, Dan, how you doing? How you been? Like, you know, what's going on? And he was in no rush to walk away, you know, and, and, and yes. I I value I Dave Dorn. Yeah, I do. I just, I value him. It makes sense why he hired you because you are who you are, and, you know, him seeing that, I would like to think that, that, you know, there's some similarities between you and him. Well, you know what, too, and I, I agree. This is, and you know the key to everywhere is having the right administration and part. And I think that here with our chancellor, Chancellor Woodson and, and Boo Corgan, our athletic director, they've been fantastic with, 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 with Dave and with all, not just football, but all athletics and giving, giving the coaches an opportunity and the chance and whatever they need to, to advance the program. And that's just in my two years watching here with Dave. So I think uh, Boo has been great and, uh, and, 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 and helping 
us in the football office, as well as, like I mentioned, other athletic uh, teams. But he's been fantastic. I think he's a, he and Dave have a great relationship, and, and uh, he's one of those guys that you want as a head coach, you really want to work for as an athletic director. What does it mean, looking at this job of yours, what is the special assistant to the head coach? What do you get to do? And if you tell me, and I know you don't, but I'm just saying this because it says special assistant to the head coach. If Dave Doran ever asked you for a cup of coffee, I know you get it for him, but I'd slap it out your hand because that, you know, we, we know we know Ruffin's far, far and away above that. But you see special assistant to the head coach, and, you know, Floyd Little was a special assistant to the director of athletics here at Syracuse. And, you know, people say, what is that? What does that mean? And it was like it could mean anything. But what does it mean in NC State to be the special assistant? And then secondly, does Dave Doran get his own coffee? No, he, he definitely does. And you sometimes bring him out. I'm still the oldest. <laughs> the age thing means something. Now I got a title in that fact. But, uh, that's, but yeah, he, uh, what, I think what my office is right beside his. Yeah. And I have a chair. He'll come in and we'll, when I'm at practice, I'm that. That, that I've sat in the chair that he sits in before. And I've, and have you, have you been in that chair? The similar problems or circumstances or instances come up, decisions come up, the same ones. And in that chair, as an assistant, you make suggestions. But in that chair that he sit in and that I was able to sit in, you make decisions. So, uh, I'm, for him, I'm that sounding board. Uh, I'm also, like I mentioned earlier, I'm that guy that can, when I watch practice, I observe from a total point of view, not from a defensive coordinator point of view or an offensive coordinator for special teams. I watch practice as a whole. Like before I call you, I'm watching all of practice. I'm watching our defensive from beginning to end, our offense. Uh, special teams, and I'm watching our young kids on tape making notes about who those next guys in line. So uh, that part. Then also I mentioned earlier is that uh, if I if there's a young man that needs uh, an individual counseling meeting or a meeting about life or about discipline or uh, last year when everything was happening, you know, you had to uh, the George Floyd, yeah, all these things happening. Yeah, uh, I was able to be a part with Dave and help with and intervene and talk. When, but Dave did a great job of galvanizing and opening up and being transparent with our team. So there's so many little other things that I'm able to do, and I think being a sounding board would be one for him, and he knows I get it. And then when players, I see a player that needs a call in and either uplift or I need to get on that guy. I'm able to do that too. And then a lot of guys know where I've been before, who I've coached before. So like receivers come in and ask about C.D. Lamb, for example. Uh, you know, I get a lot of, got a lot of uh, not just defensive kids, but offensive kids. And I share things that I've learned and then I, share with them my experiences and uh but i don't necessarily coach a position on the field i'm more of an observer and i watch it like i did as a head coach quote quote and able to just watch and observe and then i make notes after each game during the game as i'm watching the game and on the sideline from that point of view speaking here with Ruffin mcneil long time connection to the world of football and you know boasting so what, four decades of of doing this work and here with us on wake up call with dan tortora inside the cafe Ball studios uh, a few pieces before i let you go uh, very important stuff and time flies when i'm talking to ruffin and i feel like we barely scratched the surface it really does. you bring up receivers and you brought up cd lamb when you were at east carolina you got to oversee justin hardy and zay jones uh, just yes. Justin Hardy and Zay Jones are still in the top 15 for yard to, career receiving yards in the history of college football. 
what does that mean to you that you know you that that the guys you had in your locker room, guys that maybe sat in your office, maybe cry with you, maybe talk with you about you know things about family and life and relationships at school and whatnot, people that you were on bus rides with, plane rides with, and whatnot that that they're residing in this this world right now of of four thousand plus career receiving yards where Justin Hardy and Zay Jones are are such a a big part of the history of college football. And those were two guys that, that uh, you didn't know as those guys, you just knew them as, as, as Zay and Justin. Yes. You know what? That's a great point. Both kids, both young men. Now they're men. We still DM and tech each other right now, but Justin, both those guys have similar backgrounds. Justin was a walk on that we found who had been a quarterback in high school. And he reminded, he reminded Lincoln and I both of a young man we had at Texas Tech named Michael Crabtree, who became a great first-round draft source and player in the NFL because how they caught the ball. So there's something that Nick that we saw just, and Michael played quarterback uh, for his high school team in Dallas as well. But just was the quarterback, and then we got there late when I got the job, <clears throat> got Justin to walk on for half a year. And he made great catches that you saw then, then just took off. And uh, and Isaiah was the same way. Uh, he didn't have lost scholarship offers. Matter of fact, he had one Division II offer at that time. I saw him on film. We saw him on film. And I saw him catch. It's, it's, it's a little knack thing they do that they catch a different way, catch it a certain way. And you knew those two kids what they had going and then from day one those kids appreciated the opportunity and took full advantage of it and both of them had chances in the NFL and uh, they uh, at one time just had most receptions in the, in, in, in the country in, in, in the NCAA and then Zay passed him a year or two after that so that competition was good but above that they were great great young men and I get a lot of questions about those two guys as well when they come in because these guys are from North Carolina that I'm around most now they knew of Justin and we have Zay Zay's brother on our team here Levi Jones he's on our team now so Zay uh, their names are very familiar with the receivers as well as some of the defensive guys I've coached but coaching those guys were an honor and uh, to be able to be around them. I learned as much from them as they did from me. And I love them. Like I tell all the guys, uh, I, 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 I'm in their life for the rest of their life. So, and they're in mine. So, uh, those two kids have, are not just outstanding players, but those two young men were great, great people. And they're great men now. You know, and and that's and that's a beautiful thing that that connection. How do you find, especially in today's world where so many things on social media are fake, you know, and 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 people, I mean, for goodness' sakes, they create like burner accounts, and you know, people impersonate other people and and whatnot. How do you find real, genuine, good people in a world that has promoted selfishness, promoted fakeness? promoted that you could be one person in reality and one person on social media. How do you find real in today's world? How do you find the goodness in today's world? Because you have eyes that seem to see through walls. How do you do it? I, I, I meet them personally on one of Zoom, uh, which I've gotten pretty good at. We all have over this last couple of years, over this last year, but meet them in person. Uh, in front of me, uh, and and with a, a, a as far as an athlete, getting them to come to camp, we can coach them and get after them for a day and talk to them a day. If I'm on the road recruiting, if I was on the road recruiting them, Dan, I'm gonna ask the counselors, yes, teachers, yes, coaches, yes, but I'm gonna ask the cafeteria workers about this young man that's on social media that does all this. I'm gonna ask. I'm going to grab a guy, a person in the hall, young lady, young man, and say, hey, t- tell me about Ruffin McNeil. 
What kind of guy is he? What kind of person is he? I'm going to find out. And I'm, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just like these two guys sit in a chair in this big room, and there's just two of them in there, and they just start talking. We're going to look at each other in the eyes, and we're going to share our stories and share our life, just like you and I did. And I think there's nothing better than that one-on-one eyeball-to-eyeball uh, is what I call it, of uh, relationships and, and, and communication. That's the, 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 I, 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 I've learned to be somewhat new school, but the old school part of me, Dan, would never, ever go away. And when it does in this business, every time you go to my boat, time out, go to my, that's my girlfriend, and me and time out get on the water and just, we just rode around the lake all day, you know, when I can't. Uh, use my old school training that I've, that I've I've fallen back on so so many times. I will adjust, but I won't. I will never stop using that man to man, eyeball to eyeball, face to face communication and relationship building. Yeah, you know, and, and and you shouldn't, because I tell people all the time. There's three there's three ways to get in touch with me, and they, and they're ranked. Number one. Face-to-face. If I can't see you face-to-face, I'll call you. If I can't see you face-to-face and I can't call you, I'll text you. But please trust, I do not want to text you. I do not (laughs) want to do that. If you're in a meeting, if I'm trying to schedule something, if it's something quick, if it's a reminder, fine. But if I'm trying to have really get to know you, I want to see you face-to-face. I want to be around. And people, you know, people ask me that. They're like, man, you travel far. You know, you go all this way just to yeah. see, you know, your uncle. All you go, you know, your girlfriend doesn't live around the corner. You're willing to drive out. And they say, why? You know, why are you getting in the car all the time? Why are you doing this? I said, because when you love people, when you care about people, when you love something, when something matters to you, it's not, it's it's second nature. I don't care. Dan, why would you drive two hours down and two hours back just to do a 15-minute interview? Well, because I care about That's that person. That's right. You know, so I mean. That's right. Ruffin, you and I, to some people, we're living a crazy life. To other people, we're the only ones doing it right. And it's normal. Right. And I can tell you that I don't care what anybody thinks about anything. If I'm spending my time driving, calling, and doing what I love, loving what I do, and surrounding myself with good people, then if it's three o'clock in the morning, if it's, you know, 7 a.m., if it's mid afternoon, whenever it is, it doesn't matter. I am willing to put the work in for the people that matter to let people know that they do matter. And that's just, that's just me under promise over deliver. Like I want, cause I'm thinking about this in my head now. I'm like, man, I come to Charlotte a lot and I don't really know how far Charlotte is from Raleigh, but the next time that I'm down in North Carolina, I'm going to have to make my way over to Ruffin, even if it's for 15 yes, minutes. There you go. Yes. Yes, you are. It's not that far at all. It's all freeway. You know what I mean? So, yeah, make sure you do that. I'll be here waiting on you, brother. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Final notes here. 2018-19, you got to be a part of the college football playoff with Oklahoma. Bring me into what that experience was like for you because so few teams got to ha- have gotten to do that in history. So being a part of the college football playoff in 2018-19, just your takeaways while you were at o- Oklahoma. And then uh, a second portion to that question, do you believe – in power versus non-power, having been in the discussion and out of the discussion, depending on where you were working, do you believe that the American isn't good enough to be in there? Uh, how do you see things? Because we've seen realignment, we power, non-power, autonomy, non-autonomy. So what's your take on the college football playoff having been in it? And how do you look at the landscape of college football, knowing that there's been a narrative that has essentially said these are the haves these are the have-nots and unfortunately I think some people have taken up this narrative and it's affected really really good programs really good people really hard-working student-athletes coaches and administrators and and I think it's been unfair so I'd love to get your take on it well you know I'll tell you I, I, we, we went in 17 too the first year we played Georgia in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And the next year we played Alabama in the Orange, and then LSU in the Atlanta one. Um, and I'm gonna tell you, you know, it was uh, an eye opener, both 
uh, we felt like we had a really good team in Oklahoma each year. We had all draft choice. We had two Heisman Trophy winners. We had Baker Mayfield lead the first group. Then we had uh, Kyle and Murray lead the second year. And then Jalen Hurts, who got Philadelphia, lead the third year. So we had three outstanding quarterbacks. Now, what I found out during those playoffs, from my coaching point of view, is that it's really at a high level each year. I mean, you better have the the total team when you when you play the guys that we played. I, I didn't, and I just mentioned those three teams, all, all really good football teams at that time. Uh, it was a great experience. It's not quite like a bowl game. You you still have like the, the interviews and the press conferences, and you you have that those media days like we they do everywhere, Dan. But the game is a little different because you're playing at the uh, a very high level. Uh, so I really enjoyed the competition. I learned a lot from them, even though we came up short on the score in all three games were learning experiences from me for me and i learned that you got to be great at commenting football um next you asked me about the non-power five power five i played and coached at both and i i, I you know my feeling is uh if they have to expand the the the, the, the playoffs to get more opportunities to teams uh i think that's uh that's viable i wouldn't overdo that but I think expansion is not a bad idea at all. Uh, I think uh, the, the the conferences that have earned it, like right now Cincinnati is getting bounced uh, and talked about, uh, they keep doing what they're doing. They could have a chance to, to, to ease into that tournament. And I think, you know, a lot of people keep going back. Can it be a, a 64-team type basketball? No, absolutely not. You, you can't you can't ask in this sport that you cover and I coach uh, to go and play four to five to six more football games after a twelve game season. You can't do that. Not not. I don't think you can. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. And but I, I do think you can get another. You can. And we're smart enough in this in this United States to figure out a way to do it with intelligence. And, and really, when we say safety first, really mean safety first, and and adjusted to get the, the best football team together in a playoff type fashion. They've done that in basketball for years, not to that ex- number extent, but there's a way to get it done. So uh, I, I don't think any uh, 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 prejudicial uh, judgment or votes for the non-power fire teams should be given. I think. The true eyes on now. Let me throw this in there. I think having football coaches in that on those committees help a bunch. I know Coach Beamer was on that one year, but guys who understand it when they when they watch Cincinnati, for example, let's talk about the present. You see a really really good, well-rounded football team, and uh, I think having more coaches' eyes on the observation table would help a bunch. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, I think that would be so. I think one the experience helped me going three years. Second question, Dan, answer is the, the there should be no prejudicial difference. If a team has a if a, if a program has a good football team, there should be in top consideration in order to get that fairness, and you need to have guys who have done this for a living not for a hobby uh i've done it 41 years it's not a hobby for me it's a living coach beamer for a living and you you know my point been made there so uh i think that's important guys who do it for a hobby and not just glance at it you got to do it day and day they have a little bit better understanding of the who, the what's, the what, the, the why's, the how's, the where's of a football, good football team. So I think that combination needs to be in there. And then again, expand it somewhat. <laughs> Not as large as the basketball, but it could be expanded to some uh, reasonable number of teams. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think that you know change needs to come in the most positive ways. Ruffin McNeil, a longtime coach here, a friend of mine, somebody I appreciate, special assistant to the head coach uh, Dave Doran at NC State currently, and so many things that we could talk about. Ruffin, in closing here, I'm going to throw the mic to you. It's a thing. It's a thing called rapid fire. I'm going to let you ask me any three questions in the world. You and I have so much to talk about. I could literally have you on the on the uh, on the show here on Wake Up Call inside the Cafe Kubal Studios every week, and we wouldn't get to everything. So I'm going to flip it to you. Three questions. I'm on the hot seat. Rapid fire. You can ask me anything you want because you have, as always, been a very just uh, amazing with what you've had to say. So now I'm going to put myself on the hot seat. Best football player you ever covered. Wow. Best football player I ever covered. <laughs> okay. S- Give me the best two. Okay. I would say, <clears throat> mm. you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I can give you one. I, I can say the best football player I ever covered because he believed in himself. He took so much crap. I told people his last season that he was playing. I said, you better appreciate him. And I kept saying it. I said it going into the season. I said it like four weeks into the season. I said, you better love this person. You better appreciate this person because when he's gone, I promise you, mark my words, you will regret it if you don't. You'll be wishing for him back. You'll be wanting it. You'll call me, oh, Dan, why is he not here? Oh, his eligibility's done. You need to love him while he's here and you need to know what you have. And that is a man who ended his career with a bowl victory after going four win seasons. This is a man who rose to his highest point in his final game, he cried when I asked him this question, and I will appreciate him forever. And I got to do a special thing with his family, and, and I got to do it with his dad before his dad passed away. And my favorite player that I have covered because he taught me how to take every single amount of adversity and to throw it back at the world with a smile on your face and power and prestige and love in your heart, and that is Eric Dungy of Syracuse. Oh, man. Great answer. Great answer. Great answer. I like that. Thank okay, you. let's do one more. <laughs> Best NFL quarterback. Of all time? Yes. Oh, boy. Come on. Best NFL quarterback. I mean, here's the thing. Come on. I know. Here's the thing. I didn't want to say this. I didn't want I didn't want to say this. I did not want to say this, but after he did what he did in Tampa, I said, listen, I, I said, Tom Brady. There you go. Tom Brady. Now, is he the strongest arm ever? Probably not. No. Probably not. Okay, I'm a Dan Marino fan. But, I love Dan Marino. But I'm going to be real. You know, when when Mommy and Daddy broke up and Daddy stayed in New England and, and, and Mommy went down to Tampa, my, 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 mommy, 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 you know, she got her figure in check. Mommy started modeling. Mommy had about 5,000 people at the door trying to knock down that thing saying, I'd love to uh, spend some time. I mean, all I got to say is Tom Brady, man, he got prettier when he got older. I don't know what the heck happened, but I got to give it up to Tom Brady because he made a team that was nowhere, nowhere, win win a Super Bowl. And Bill Belichick, man, I'd love to tell you that he looks pissed off, but he always looks pissed off. So, so. Yeah, I'll give I'll give Brady some credit. You you got a third one. What's your last one? All right, last one is uh, give me your favorite college team that you begged to observe. So I grew up. I mean, born and raised at Syracuse. So you know, Syracuse will always be be top dog to me. But I would tell you that I've I found within the American Athletic Conference. I found a lot of love and in the ACC because I've covered them so heavily that, you know, I defend Cincinnati. So like I became a huge fan of watching them because I was defending them and I, and I had no dog in the race and I defended UCF when I had no dog in the race. And so, I mean, I would say, and I've defended Dave Doran. So I watch NC state and I've defended Dave Clawson. So I watch Wake Forest. So I, I mean, I, I think for me, it's more of the relationships than okay. anything else that I've built and the connections to to the universities and the colleges, you know, and, 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 and always and forever, you know, my hometown is my hometown. And, you know, oh, yeah. I will always, always, there's a different feel when I'm here and 
there's just a different reality for me about Syracuse. And so you know I, I know. You yeah, know I, know. I appreciate it and I respect it, but you know, it comes down to the people and you know, so it's, 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 it is, it, it kind of, it kind of just happens over time that, you know, you defend NC state and Dave Doran so much that you, you really respect them and, and you start to defend them in conversations and not even know that you are because, you know, you get to know the people. So, you know, I mean, East Carolina, they're, they're in my heart because of you. So, you know, it's, it, it's just, it really is the people that do it for me. And, you know, those people know I'll support them wherever they go. So, you know, I mean, if, if you started head coach in a peewee league, I'd be down there, you know, commentating that, that those four-year-olds running around. You know what I mean? So I'll be having some fun. <laughs> That's a great, that was a tough one. Thank, man, I appreciate you, man. You've been fantastic, you know, and uh, it's so great hearing your voice, sharing with you. And uh, thanks for always, like you've been, like we talked about earlier, being very kind and always talking to me. And uh, and I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you too, Ruff. And my best to you out there in Raleigh and wherever your travels take you. You and I will be staying in touch a lot more often. I think I know that life is better when uh, when you get a little little time with Ruff. And so I know we got to spend a lot of time on the air, and I'll have you back on soon. But beyond that, okay. I'll look forward to our fireside chats that only you and I get to hear. Same here, brother. I take you take care of yourself, man. Stay in touch, please. All right, you two, give my best to your family and to Erlene, okay? All right, do the same, brother. Love you, man. All right, love you too. All right. See you. See you, babe.